Thanks for downloading show 176 of the C-Suite podcast. My name is Russell Goldsmith and together with my co-host Graham Barrett on this episode, we'll be focusing on event marketing. Now, no matter what industry you're in, the chances are you'll find a calendar full of trade and exhibition shows of all types and sizes. It's a chance for established and fledgling brands to showcase their products and services, to engage with the live audience, strengthen existing partnerships, and to find and win new business. But how do you select the right show for your brand? What are the advantages of event sponsorships? What are the priorities when designing your exhibition booth? And most importantly, how do you measure the success of your presence at an event and ensure that's all important ROI? Yes, and to answer these questions and more, Russ and I are delighted to be joined online by two guests who partnered with the C-Suite podcast last year and took uh, the show to events that their companies were sponsoring. So gives me great pleasure to welcome Miranda McLean, Chief Communications and Sustainability Officer at Banking Circle Group, Adam Burak, Events Manager at Free Markets. And then finally, we also have with us Emma Duncan, UKI Events Leader at IBM. And Emma, I'd love to come to you for the first question. Can you give us some insight into how you choose the right events for IBM and maybe some of the outcomes you're trying to achieve? Absolutely. And I think, you know what, the most important step is having like a real clarity about what those business outcomes are. So whether that's boosting sales in a particular area of the business, or if you're just trying to drive uh, like a more general awareness. But I think it's also important to note at the start here that whatever that event strategy is, it has to be a cohesive part of that overall marketing strategy so that the events aren't done in isolation. They're chosen by design as part of your overall client journey mapping. But I think to answer your question, I think there's really sort of five key things that determine, you know, what we what events that we choose. One is having that clarity around the outcome. So awareness and, and, and versus demand generation, how many leads, what looks like success. Second thing is message. Is that event theme aligned to the topic that you really want to talk to? And then, of course, following the messages, the audience, does the event attract the right job titles uh, from the right companies in your target market? And are you looking to nurture existing relationships or are you in the business of new client acquisition and I think in that sense getting randomized lists of job titles and company names from previous events can really help uh, in determining if this is really the right audience for you. Number four is kind of engagement what opportunities are there for you to tell your story uh, and how can you actually engage with your audience and then five is action so are you able to capture data that enables the team to follow up post-event and I think once you understand those five things, you can make some decisions around the mix of third-party multi-sponsor events, uh, great for new client acquisition and actually meeting um, existing clients, third-party sole sponsorship, uh, where you want something a bit more bespoke, specifically just for you, uh, and then proprietary events where you're sort of building on that existing relationship that you have. Miranda, we um, worked together twice last year at um, Money 2020 in Amsterdam and uh, Las Vegas, but th- those were just two of the events that that Banking Circle Group sponsor. What I thought would be good is maybe first of all, if you can just quickly introduce the company, but then talk through the kind of events that you've targeted and and how the strategy has evolved over time with those. Sure. So um, Banking Circle Group is a financial technology platform um, with a licensed bank at its core that provides businesses with financial services solutions that they can then leverage to build out their own customer propositions. So an example of that might be um, enabling cross-border payments or card issuing solutions or embedded finance. That's the business. In terms of our event strategy, 
we launched the business in 2015 and we used an, an event to actually launch the business. So we, we used that as our launch platform. We chose back then in 2015 the biggest event in the fintech space because obviously we wanted to cast the, the net wide. We wanted to hit as many people as we could to raise awareness around our brand, raise awareness around our propositions, but also, you know, do some demand generation in terms of acquiring new customers and, and generating some leads. And of course, there are hundreds and hundreds of conferences now in, in both fintech and payments. So obviously, we can't be at them all. But fast forward eight years, the brand has now developed. We're a successful business. We're no longer a startup. We're an established business. We've grown our client base. We've won multiple awards. So the brand is much more established. So now when we go to events, although we do continue to work with the big event producers and, and be present at all the big industry events, there's less of a brand awareness because people do know us. The strategy is more around meeting customers, actually connecting with them face-to-face -face because we don't get that face-to-face -face time. We're a, we're a digital business, so it's not like you can walk into a shop and have a chat with us. And of course, also, that there's always the lead generation piece uh, with any event for us. So yes, that's how the, the strategies evolved. We do nowadays also um, having, I'm not going to say big budgets, but certainly bigger budgets than in 2015, we're able to also attend smaller conferences, so smaller, more targeted conferences in the regions that we are targeting. So, you know, an example of that might be MPE in Berlin, uh, Paris FinTech Forum in, in Paris, obviously. So actually getting local salespeople in front of customers locally at smaller events, as well as being present at the big ones. At what point does the strategy develop from exhibiting to becoming a sponsor to becoming like a big sponsor? For us, we take a view with events of partnership. And at the beginning, budget really dictated what we could and couldn't do. But nowadays, we do take a more integrated marketing campaign approach to events that we're present at. So we work with the conference producers from the outset to see how we can integrate into the event and really just maximize our presence there, the engagement that we're going to get. So that's everything from actually saying, okay, so branding is going to be present in all your pre-event marketing, but also we'll do a lot of pre-event marketing to let people know we're going to be at an event. We'll make sure that our website has a landing page where we can tell people we're going to be at an event, where they can register their interest to meet with us. We try to, as much as possible, also have a speaker or a moderator or someone actually doing so that it's, it's more than just an exhibition stand so that there's you know multiple touch points to engage with us our brand our people at the event many times now especially at the bigger events we have a copywriter on site attending key sessions that we've identified ahead of the event and doing a summary blog at the end of each day and that goes out on our social media channels along with photographs of you know, our stand and what's going on on our stand, just to continue that engagement for people who aren't there as well, as well as for the people who are there. And any success stories in terms of, I don't know if you can, how much detail you can share, but in terms of actually signing a client there and then at an event? We do have long sales cycles, but we often still do uh, sign clients. So it could be that salespeople have been having conversations with a certain prospect, and then that deal gets 
sealed at um, events. So that does happen, um, which is always great news because clearly there has to be an ROI um, on events. But many times, you know, we've had some, some of our key clients, you know, took perhaps two, three years to actually come full circle and sign. So it does depend. But yes, we do sign business on the stand. But more often than not, it's coming in later. I think it also just shows the importance of going to where your clients are, you know, whether they're new clients or existing clients. If you go to the right place where your clients are, then those are the sorts of um, you know, outcomes that you can hope to achieve. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, Adam, let's bring you into the conversation now, because similar to uh, Miranda at Banking Circle, we recorded this podcast at Fintech Connect with Free Markets um, at the end of last year. So could you just give us an intro into Free Market? And some more specifics about your kind of role as events manager. How do you choose those events and what are your key objectives? So our company was born from a vision to break down the barriers to international trade and remittance. Our senior leadership team has 150 years combined experience across banking, capital markets, fintech, professional services. We are a global cross-border payment provider and uh, it's extremely important to us to have the key value proposition communicated at events as well. I think this is this is the most exciting time uh, of the development of the company so far because we grew so much in the last, let's say, two years. And the events as a, a possibility to uh, drive sales came only a year ago, literally like a year ago, we we had our first exhibiting. I wasn't even uh, with the company. I came on board afterwards. And I think what is extremely important to us is uh, that we are a small company in terms of size, but we have uh, 500 uh, corporate clients uh, at the moment. Uh, we're growing extremely fast and it's extremely important to us what kind of picture what kind of brand awareness we are creating around ourselves. And I think events are, are one of the key factors in that. But also, as, as you mentioned, and also what Emma mentioned earlier regarding uh, attending the right event, there is a lot of planning within the marketing team as well. Where are we going to attend? What are we going to sponsor? Where are we going to be partners? W which one we are only attending? Because my single goal here is to drive sales. So I'm a sales-oriented events manager at the company. So all our efforts at the end of the day are shown by how many contracts we were closing this year. And just to follow up on that, I mean, are you looking to, as we just asked Miranda, are you looking to sign deals there and there on the spot? It happens sometimes, but uh, our sales cycle is quite long as well. So just to give you an example, we started a conversation with one particular client at an event at 2021, and uh, we closed that particular prospect in 2022 at the same event. So one year later, it happens sometimes that as well. Yeah, so there's a lot of behind the scenes where you're kind of tracking where exactly. all of these sales have come from. And that's really interesting that you can track them back to these individual events. So that must be quite rewarding in a way. Yes, we have a, a first point of contact kind of system. So we we are able to trace it back where was the first conversation. And then we are having, uh, as Miranda mentioned, multiple touch points from there. Sometimes we have nine touch points, watching something online, reading a white paper, talking to various departments and until until the prospect converts. 
Just listening to what you were saying there, Adam, I mean, one of the things that I was keen to understand was the importance of face-to-face meetings, you know, now that we're coming back to in-person events. Miranda, thoughts on that? I think it's a big focus for us and our salespeople are really looking for that engagement with the market. I was actually at the B2B fintech marketing conference this week. So a big shout out to that amazing community. But one of the sessions I attended um, was actually all around events and they had a poll. And the question uh, was, what type of event is driving the most impact for your business? And I noted on the answer, actually, especially for this podcast, 71% of the attendees, there about 200 people in person at this event, said that in-person was driving the most impact for them. 24% said hybrid and 5% said virtual. So I think it's unanimous that now that especially post-COVID, people are still really looking for that face-to-face engagement that only conferences and events can really deliver. And you do have a captive audience there. They're there for the event, they're there for the conference, and they're there for the duration. And you get their undivided attention, which is quite unique. Whereas if I'm running a webinar, for example, you might find that somebody's looking at their their screen and, you know, multitasking, which you get less of that. You, You know, you get, you get, better quality engagement face-to-face for sure. Well, I mean, I think it's about connection, isn't it? I mean, as humans, we, we, we want to connect to people and, and, and that sort of face-to-face contact, it works well for our subject matter experts and our sales teams on site. And, and really importantly, it works really well for the delegates. You know, they get to have more of that quality interaction and experience. And I think that is the beauty of live is that face-to-face interaction, the opportunity to, to engage, to tell stories differently, you know, and those things resonate, which is what makes it sort of a sort of guess like a stickier experience for everybody, you know, a higher value experience. Emma, let's um, let's stick with you. One, one of the questions that I wanted to look at, I mean, we've talked about the different types of, of events and sponsoring and exhibiting and, you know, numerous levels that, that that can take. How do you go about building your presence with the organisers of the event? And is there a deal to be done with them at some point? <laughs> Well, I, I'm a big fan of if you don't ask, you don't get. So I think it's always worth, always worth having a conversation. But I think that really comes from knowing uh, your audience, your target audience, and, and how you want to interact with them. Part of it, of course, as Miranda was saying, is, is down to the budget that you've got. So that might limit you. However, is it important to you to be able to sort of demonstrate something? Is it important to you to be able to have a platform to talk to a group of people you're in the business then of, uh, do I turn up with, uh, have I got an ex- exhibition space, which could be something really small from sort of like three metres by two metres through to I'm going to have a huge space and I'm going to have a keynote and I'm going to have a theatre session. Many sort of event producers do kind of look at other sorts of add-ons, you know, whether that's kind of um, appointment setting um, for particular clients that you might be interested in, in trying to establish a relationship or connect with. And so I think, you know, when you look at these packages that, that come out, obviously the event producers need a, a way in which they can sort of try to sort of uh, create something that makes sense for the majority of people. But if you see an aspect of a package that you think, you know what, because of the sort of conversation that I'm trying to have with a particular type of audience, actually that would work for me. And so I think it's always a really valuable thing to do to have that conversation with the event producer because, you know, they want sponsors to get value from the exhibition too. Miranda? 
I mean, you know, is there a deal to be had? I think it's really hard to ask for a deal. The providers that we work with, the event producers, they certainly don't offer deals. And the most they might throw in is an extra an extra pass here and there. But I think that if you really value the event, then really and truthfully, are you looking for that deal? I think we're very selective about the events we go to. If we try something out, usually we don't try it out cold. So we'll send a delegate or two in the first instance to check it out, see whether they feel there's value in us having a, a presence. But on the rare occasion where we have just gone all in and exhibited or sponsored and it's not worked out, then we don't go again. So I think it's in everybody's interest to make the event work for the client, which is us, as well as those attending so that they're getting value from it to just ensure the longevity of that um, event. So it's not necessarily about getting a deal, but it, just assigning value to an event and understanding that if we only do these three, they're the best three to do for the year for us. And we will continue investing our budget in those few that we know actually we get the value from. But just take taking something that we've worked with you on, as I mentioned, with Money 2020, where you are the five star sponsor. So you've got a one star, two star, three star four star, five star, how much is the kudos of being that five star sponsor? Does that make a huge difference compared to if you'd only gone for four stars? Look, I think the reality is, and I, and I may be generalizing here, especially in a recession, but the reality is those that take the bigger sponsorships are typically what you're reflecting there is that you're a more successful business. That may not necessarily be true because your strategy one year may also be just to actually, I'm not going to put as much into my events. I'm going to actually have a strategy where I do more one-to-one customer engagement or I even might decide to run my own events. But normally, those with the, the bigger brands have got the bigger budgets and uh, and they're the five-star sponsorships. So I think that those associations are made in people's minds. So it's about putting your best foot forward and saying, here we are, we're big, we're successful, um, come and work with us. And for those people that are already working with us, it kind of reinforces oh, we're working with those guys. Look how successful they are. Look how big their stand is, you know. And I think that whether we like it or not, those associations are made um, in people's minds. I'm not sure that there's that big a difference in being a five-star or four-star sponsor. You know, Money 2020 is certainly good at putting your brand everywhere. But if you are five-star, you definitely do benefit from having additional branding and visibility at the event, both pre-event, during event and post-event. Adam? I think it's really important, especially for us, uh, just joining uh, to uh, Miranda's uh, comments about which events uh, we are picking and what kind of sponsorship we are having there. Uh, We are evaluating really, really closely every event. So usually the strategy is we are sending salespeople to attend first, and then next year we are evaluating based on the results and based on their feedback where we would like to have a brand sponsorship or we would like to exhibit or something. Because these events are expensive and uh, you need to know that you are putting your efforts in front of the right audience. And let's stick with you, Adam, because we've been talking a lot about, um, you know, the cost of uh, these events, the budgets that that you guys assign to them. I mean, I don't know how much detail you can go into, but um, are any of you happy to talk about budgets or at least what percentage of the marketing budget would go towards events? Yeah, I can tell you exactly that it is uh, 60% of the yearly marketing budget devoted to events with us. Okay. So going back to the conference that I attended um, this week, at that same session, um, there was a question about how much budget is spent on events. 
And again, I've noted down the numbers for the purpose of uh, knowing what questions would be happening today, but um, <laughs> 39%, so this is a, a B2B fintech marketing audience, 39% said 10 to 25% of their budget went on events. 35% said 25 to 50%. So that's very close to those that spend 10 to 25%. So that, that was almost evenly split with only, you know, 13% saying less than 50% and 13% saying less than 10%. Um, and I'd say, you know, we certainly fall into that 50, 60% camp. Look, I mean, let, let's assume that you've selected your event, you've done all your sort of like prep. Let, let's talk about the actual physical booth that you're going to have in this exhibition space. How much time goes into designing and creating it, you know, and, and also what are the key things to consider? Miranda, let's stick with you while you're on this one. So we, we work with a, a fantastic stand design company and we've been working with them um, almost since the beginning. So I started with one and then switched these guys and, and I, we've worked with them ever since. They're called We Are Pi. Um, they're a B Corp. Um, so I'll come on to that um, sustainability angle in a second. But um, we've worked with them continuously for the last eight years or so. And the design process starts, you know, six to nine months out from an event, um, especially with those larger events. We focus on having a very clean design. That's us. You know, not all brands want that, but we want a clean design that delivers impact. And of course, it has to be on brand. So we apply a very good at understanding that. And we challenge them, you know, every single time to come up with a new design that meets those criteria. But in terms of considerations when we're uh, designing the stand, we have to think about things like how are we planning to use the stand? So when we were having the C-Suite podcast on our stand, we had to consider, you know, where would you be located on the stand? What space would you um, be using? Um, and how did that impact the rest of the stand? So that's one consideration. I mean, this year, for example, at Money 2020, we're actually building in some water coolers in the stand knowing because we have some refillable bottles as giveaways, knowing that people are going to fill their bottle, we didn't want it to be an afterthought of where those, you know, water coolers were going to be positioned and have people tripping up over them on the stand. So that's been built into the design. So the other um, big consideration is how do you stand out from the crowd at these events? There are huge show floors where we um, typically exhibit hundreds and hundreds of stands, and they just all look pretty similar. So how do you look different? How do you make an impact? How do you, how are you even found from across the hall? So that's another big consideration from us, uh, for us, sorry. And then finally, there's that sustainability angle that I mentioned at the start. We do take that seriously. We apply are actually a B Corp and they publish the numbers and I can't remember them off by heart, but you know, if you go to their website, they publish the stats around how much wastage is generated by um, the events industry um, every year. Um, because of course, you know, if that's not considered, then there's a lot of material that has to go to landfill. We build stands that are 100% sustainable. Um, that's one of uh, We Are Pies. That's, that's kind of their core. That's what they do. So our stands uh, can break down, they can be recycled. We donate furniture or, or pieces of materials to charity many times. There's not a way for them to be uh, recycled, but typically all of the materials we use can be broken down. So that's, that's also what we consider. Emma, any other considerations? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, for, for us, the starting point is really kind of like the messaging architecture, because we've got to be really clear on the messages that we want to get across. And then what we try to do is take that messaging architecture and work out 
what do we need in our space to tell the story that we've designed? Because I think it's important to have some sort of synergy and clarity, because otherwise you, know, you end up putting kind of random stuff on there. Everything on that stand has to be in service of telling the story that you want to tell. And I think exactly to your point, Miranda, it's how do you stand out? How do you tell a story in an eye-catching way, invite somebody to engage with you in a way that's a bit different? And at um, Tech Show London, for example, this year, we had um, Spot the robot dog, you know, he was walking around, um, you know, the event, he was on our stand. We were able to talk about sort of all things automation and, and AI. We have invested in uh, like kit to, you know, show holograms. Um, and we're sort of building out different activations that, that can showcase things in there. So it's it's just giving somebody an opportunity to go, oh, you know, what's that? Just enable them to step into your space to start that conversation. Adam, any thoughts? We are really much in the brand awareness uh, stage. A lot of people heard of free market, but a lot of people haven't heard of us. Uh, it is great for me to hear that people are coming back after like we've been to two or three shows and they are saying that, oh, free market, you guys are everywhere. And uh, it's just it's just a, a great feedback for for us that that what we are doing in terms of of presence and interactivity it is working, and I'm I'm really much focusing on interactive activities. So this is why uh, the C-suite podcast came into play uh, at FinTech Connect last uh, year because uh, we created an entire recording studio implemented in the design of of our booth so people were coming over and they were like what is happening are you recording a live podcast here so it's just like how you are getting the eyeballs how are you starting the conversation with them is this interesting enough to go there and figure out what's happening there at sigma last year for example we had a two meter uh high uh jenga tower that people could play together with and they were uh they were literally taking out one pieces of Jenga's is like pain points uh, our platform is solving. So how is it connected to our messaging? How is it connected to, to what we would like to, to talk about? And uh, is it interesting and engaging enough to go there and try it out? Well, I'm going to have to follow that up, Adam, because you've uh, cued me in nicely. I mean, obviously, Graham was at, at the FinTech Connect with you, but how did you find that whole kind of process of recording the podcast on, on the event stand? It was absolutely great. Uh, we did it uh, for the entire first day uh, with time slots. We gained a lot of traction. Uh, that's like uh, what what is going on there, and uh, and then like what what are people talking about? And then we usually had people like audience uh, standing around and seeing what's going on. So I think it was a great uh, brand awareness uh, activity. But in the meantime, we had such interesting conversations that we are using since then and resharing uh, because uh, the value that we created, I think it was it was quite extraordinary with uh, with the special guests uh, talking with you. Uh, so I think it will it had multiple benefits. That's great to hear. Miranda, obviously, yeah, you, you mentioned it and I touched on it at, um, in my intro, but um, we did that for you twice at Money 2020. What's been your kind of thoughts and feedback of that of that process? Well, I think, you know, for us, I think there were really four key um, value items that came out of working um, with you guys. I think the first one was you brought to our stand 
targeted, hard-to-reach senior executives who love to be interviewed. They love to talk about what they're doing. Then you brought a lot of professionalism around that. So effectively, you brought people to our stand that we would not be able to bring uh, to our stand if had we reached out to them. And we were able then to introduce them to our salespeople and create sales opportunities. The second one we've already touched on, which is, you know, creating buzz um, and a point of differentiation on our stand. So seeing the camera crews, the microphones, um, seeing these people on our stand, it gave us that buzz, that point of differentiation. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we're always looking to do something different at the stand to uh, have this point of differentiation from everyone else. And, and I think that really did that. You know, we were the first, I think, at Money 2020 to use you guys. So that was um, excellent for us. The other huge thing it gave us was loads and loads of great content. So we had great content, not only during the event, but also after the event. So creating that buzz on social media that then got extended further because the corporate businesses that we were, the social media teams of those corporate businesses where you were interviewing their CEOs were also sharing that content to their network. So we had that multiplier effect going on on social media, which was um, invaluable um, in terms of that association with the brand um, and so on. Um, and, you know, the credibility, I think the fourth point is the, the credibility that that, you know, that brings having these people on your stand associated with your brand, people walking by seeing these really senior leaders on your stand just adds to that credibility and that, you know, association with the brand. So I think, you know, lots and lots of great business benefits of uh, working with you guys. That's wonderful to hear. Thank you. And what about, you mentioned water coolers. What other tactics can you use to get the right people over to the to the booth and not just, let's call them the freebie hunters? Um, yeah. So, I mean, what, what, other, what other things can you, can, you know, other tactics can you recommend people listening to this? Well, firstly, I think it's really hard not to have freebie hunters. Um, you know, I think they will always come onto your stand, especially if you've got good freebies. I mean, you yeah. know, well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to deny I it. Say, I, I, I picked I, I, up a number. I was going to say, I'm going to put my hands up. I go yeah. and seek out those good freebies I, myself. <laughs> I came. I came home from um, Vegas with a with a whole bunch of pairs, new pairs of socks. That I, I mean, I thought that was the most bizarre thing for people to give away. But there was a number of different booths that were giving away socks. So I thought, yeah, I'll take them. But sorry, go on, carry on. Carry on. Um, but yes. Um, but in terms of like drawing the right audience. We have used tactics like launching white papers. They're very, very specific to the industry. So back in the day when we were still printing documents and bringing them along, we don't do that anymore, really. But launching white papers at an event, getting the engagement through sharing blog content, as I mentioned. Um, last year, something very successful is we launched a partnership at Money 2020 and we used one of their stages as the platform to talk about it. And we created a whole buzz ahead of um, the announcement and let people know that on our stand, we'd be demoing. So once people had seen the actual announcement on the stage, they were able to come to our stand and we set up like a little demo area just for a couple of hours. And again, people that were interested in learning more about that partnership um, were able to come to the stand and see how it works live. So those are the kinds of things we've done. We've also worked with some of the local member associations that we're members of um, in our industry who quite often say to us, oh, you've got a big stand. Would you mind if we hosted... Uh, drinks or you know something on your stand so we welcome that because it also brings people from that network from you know the industry to our stands what I would also add to that is it, it just comes back to sort of tying your content to the experience so for example we had a great story around blockchain uh, that was associated um, with a um, coffee 
manufacturer, coffee producer. So we built a coffee stand and then was able to tell the story uh, around blockchain, for example. So I think where you can tie the content to um, what's happening on the sand, because th there's always a place, I think, at events for fun things to do that aren't specific necessarily to kind of, uh, you know, content. But I think if you're really trying to drive that sort of um, quality conversation and opportunity for engagement, then it's really good to tie the stuff happening on your stand to the content. You know, we've come up with like themes of things like, you know, refresh, recharge, rethink. So come and get a coffee with us, charge your phone with us. But, you know, we also have these talks that are running on as well, for example. Well, what I was going to ask is, so we've talked through getting people to to the booth what about capturing their data what what's the process there so, so i think from our perspective it's really important that it's done correctly uh, gdpr obviously regulation in place which is uh, very important for everybody and i think different companies have slightly different postures um around that they have slightly different interpretations of it the way that we approach it is that we have signage up. We make it very clear that if you allow your badge to be scanned, then that's that person's consent for their data to be passed from the event producer to uh, the sponsoring company who, who scanned their badge. So it's about collecting the right permissions. And we even go a step further, whereas that is a permission for a follow-up if we want to add somebody to the marketing database, we have to ask a different specific question. Um, and so we're very, very careful about capturing the data. As part of that, it's really important to sort of make a note of the conversations that are happening because it's all about things being actionable. You know, who did I speak to? What was the action for that? And then have you got the right consent to follow up with those people? Yeah, great. And I think it'd be worth considering, you know, what, what else that uh, you have to think about uh, before you undertake sponsorship one of these events or attending one of these events. Adam, Miranda referred to the sustainability of the stand earlier. But what about just generally in terms of sustainability, in terms of people flying all over the world to these events? How much um, does that go into your thinking when planning these events? I think it's really difficult to talk about how sustainable is flying people there when there are still expos out there I know of and obviously not going to name them. And they are throwing everything away after the event. They literally said that there's nothing from the materials, uh, the, the design elements, nothing that is, is uh, reused. So I think that concerns me a little bit more than, than uh, flying uh, to the events. But linking it back to uh, the hybrid events, webinars, and, uh, and uh, in-person events, I think we really need that connection. So I think that we we need to meet face to face, uh, and we are trying to to keep our numbers low when we are we are going away just to to uh, reduce the footprint as well, and uh, and I think with a smaller team, who are really focusing on the task, we are we are working better. I think for sustainability, it's kind of reduce reuse. Um, and recycle and it's doing as much as you can of all of those things and I, I know that um, you know there's the uh, ILA um, framework which is helping people to sort of really understand you know what their carbon footprint is across uh, an entire uh, event um, and then B Corp that you mentioned as well Miranda that uh, you know status that event producers are working towards so all of these things are pushing things in the right direction but it can be very difficult. Um, it's difficult decisions to have to be made um, in order to sort of facilitate, make, get achieving these um, sustainability gains. Because often 
stand designs vary from event to event, space to space, uh, space to space. So all of the time you have to be thinking, how much can I reuse? How much can I recycle um, and repurpose, et cetera? Well, let's just move the conversation on a little bit now. We've, we've talked about the planning for these events. We've talked about actually being at these events, how we capture the data, how do we make a splash at these events using different points of different tactics, different points of differentiation. Um, ultimately, you need to ensure an ROI at these events. You know, you need, you need to make sure that the money you've invested is coming back in some way. So, Adam, do you want to start with this? How, how do you measure the success of an event? It is very simple at free market. We just need to do our job well when we are bringing in the business and then need to provide the high quality service to keep them in. And also it is much more effective for us to go to a big event and then reach tens of thousands of people over three days than trying to reach hyper-specific targets via uh, targeted ads uh, on LinkedIn, for example, because they are already engaging with us. Whether we are having a podcast studio, for example, or we are having any kind of challenge, like a cold pressed uh, fresh juice shot challenge when you need to uh, figure out four of the ingredients and then you get a giveaway when you you, uh, manage to figure out four of those. It is already a connection. It's much, much easier to, to convert that to uh, a lead and then to on like some some point of the of the journey convert them to a client. Emma, what about you at IBM? Is is that similar to your experience? What kind of metrics are you using? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, we we're sort of looking at it from a view is okay, so how many people did we plan to talk to? And did we talk to the number of people that we plan to talk to. And, and some of that is actually down to the enablement of the team that, that, that put, you put on site, you know, and, and how um, diligently they're sort of following through and scanning up and writing their conversations and all the rest of it so we can capture all of that information. So, you know, responses planned versus actual, are we sort of meeting with the people that we hope to meet to, in terms of, you know, from the right companies? Um, but ultimately, I think it's about the um, conversions as well. So what proportion of the people that we have spoken to actually then um, sort of convert into an opportunity? Um, and of course, downstream from that, you know, what, what, what opportunity is then won? Yeah, Miranda, can we just come to you on that point in terms of ROI and how you measure success at events? You know, I think that with event success, it starts in the pre-planning before the event and you know, goes all the way through to post-event follow-up. So our sales team, you know, ahead of any event, especially if you're a sponsor or an exhibitor, you typically get access to the platform where you can see who's going to be there. And they're reaching out and booking meetings ahead of the event. And the success comes from literally having full diaries before we've actually traveled to the event. And Typically, our salespeople are fully booked before we even arrive on, a, on an exhibition stand. And then it's about the quality of the engagement. So just echoing what Emma and Adam have been saying, but the quality of the engagements that you're having, the, the quality of the leads that you're generating, and obviously the those that convert, so that those sales conversions, those opportunity conversions that happen post-event. Listen, guys, we've covered a huge amount in a uh, very short uh, space of time. Thank you so much for all your contributions. I just thought I'd give you the chance to plug where you're going to be over the next few months, just in case any of our listeners want to come and find you. So, um, yeah, let's go around our our virtual uh, table here. And, um, yeah, for the for the rest of 2023, um, Adam, where can listeners come and find you guys? What events are you going to be at? 
the next event we are preparing uh, for is going to be Money 2020 uh, in a month uh, where we are exhibiting. And we have a really interesting challenge because we are partnering with a UK charity and we are going to raise funds uh, for them uh, for cancer treatment uh, for over two months uh, period of time. I cannot go into more details at the moment because the official comms hasn't gone out yet, uh, but this is what I can say. It is going to be really, really exciting. Also, we are going back to FinTech Connect uh, in uh, December. And we are attending various events uh, in the meantime. We're going to go to uh, SBC Gaming to Barcelona, for example, in September, IFX Cyprus uh, uh, in Limassol, uh, Cybos in Toronto, uh, and we are going to uh, go to Money 2020 Las Vegas, where uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Alana Chondratov, is going to uh, speak as well. Emma, where can um, listeners find IBM over the next few, few months? Um, we're really excited to be at uh, London Tech Week, uh, which is the 12th to 16th of June. That same week, we're going to be at NHS Confed up in Manchester. And then, you know, we'll have our big proprietary flagship um, event uh, called Think. So that's where you get the latest and greatest of what's happening from IBM. And that's going to be uh, on October the 10th. Uh, Miranda, let's finish with you. Um, well, we have Paris FinTech Forum um, happening in May. We will be at Money 2020 in June and EBA Day also in June in Madrid. Um, we're going to be at Cybos in Toronto, um, then Money 2020 US in Las Vegas in October and ending the year with Singapore FinTech Festival in November. But all our events can be found on our website. Listen, thank you so much. We'll end the discussion there. Massive thank you to all three of our guests, Miranda McLean, Adam Burrick and uh, Emma Duncan. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I'd just like to echo those comments and say thank you all very much for joining us on the podcast today. And we always want to hear what you think. So if you'd like to contribute to the discussion, you can do so on our Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram feeds. The links for these can be found at the top of the page at csuitepodcast.com. You can also catch up with all our previous shows and follow us for automatic downloads of each episode via your favorite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please do give us a positive rating and review. If you'd like more information on our event podcasting offering that Miranda and Adam have kindly talked about today, go to audaircommunications.com for more information. And you can see case studies there, plus you can get in touch via the contact form. Finally, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can do that via the contact form on the website. But for now, from both Russell Goldsmith and me, Graham Barrett, thank you for listening and goodbye.